Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He was a leader of the Jews. And he came to Jesus by night. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God because no one can do the signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said, how can one be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I've said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Jesus said, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak about what we know. We testify to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I speak to you about earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I speak to you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him might have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him might not perish but might have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. I had some remarkably strange and difficult conversations this week with three very different people that I'd never met before. One was with a man who had seen me around town and who knows what I do here at Cross of Grace and met me out in public. He wanted to know if I'd be willing to talk with a friend of his who was struggling with a son of his who was struggling too, the boy, with suicidal thoughts, suicidal attempts even, and a very serious experience of abuse. I had another series of conversations with a different young man altogether, a high school kid, again, someone I'd never met before, who's been struggling with some drug use, problems at home and at school, some severe anxiety, and to top it off, he harbors some serious fear about whether or not God could still love or forgive him for some of the things he'd said and done when he was in the third grade. 
then I had a short and sweet little chat with the woman who cut my hair about how she wouldn't be doing much for the holiday weekend, partly because her sister's birthday is today, but also because her sister died last year. So my barber and her family would be trying to find a way to do both things, the holiday and the grieving at the same time. Of course, I wanted for these people I didn't know to know about God's love and grace and mercy in their lives. I wanted to describe for them something about how deep and how wide that love is meant to be for them. I wanted to find words that would overwhelm them with hope and the power of that divine kind of love so that they could feel it in a way that was life-affirming and life-giving and as life-changing as the love of God is meant to be. So I outlined for them the intricacies and the particulars and the theological trappings of the doctrine of the Trinity, which we are invited to celebrate this morning. I did not do that because that would be ridiculous, right? The irony of this Sunday as a festival worship day is as funny to me as it is awkward and frustrating. Holy Trinity Sunday, I mean, where we're charged with celebrating church doctrine. This is always a strange proposition for a preacher. This notion that God can be described and defined and defended and dumbed down, frankly, if you ask me, into three things, three persons, three images, three identities, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all in the context of what we do here on a Sunday. As if we could do that. As if that would be enough. As if there's a way to say it all here and now in some way that matters and has meaning for people. Because if we were to pretend to say it all, it wouldn't be enough. Because not everyone speaks the same language, literally or figuratively or spiritually either. Not everyone holds the same regard for Father or for Son or for Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost for that matter, right? It's funny to me because it seems strange to wrap worship up in those kind of academic theological trappings. It's frustrating to me because there are people out there in the world and some listening now, I imagine, who've had enough with words, who've had enough with doctrine and those theological trappings, who've had enough defending and dumbing down what is too big and more beautiful and embarrassingly limited by our simple terms and convenient definitions for this God we worship. There's a time and a place for everything. Don't get me wrong, but Jesus did not spend a lot of time with 
plying definitions or with playing defense for God. Maybe he's doing some of that this morning with Nicodemus, but we also heard Jesus say that he simply spoke about what he knew. That he testified to what he had seen. And it seems to me Jesus was at his best, most fully, most faithfully, most loving best when he was doing the work of God. Not just defining it or describing it or defending it even. Jesus created experiences for people. Jesus told stories. Jesus touched and he loved. He held hands and he welcomed. He fed and watered. Jesus whined and dined. He walked with people. He worked alongside them. He washed their feet and he let them wash his feet. He prayed and he sang and he laughed and he wept. Which is why this conversation with Nicodemus under cover of darkness never seems to cut the mustard for me. I don't know exactly what Jesus is getting at, of course. I don't think Nicodemus did either. I'm just as confused as Nicodemus about what it means to be born again, about being born of the flesh or born of the spirit, about where the wind comes from and where the heck it's going. How can these things be? What in the heck are you talking about, Jesus? But Jesus is just getting started, really. He goes on to do some more talking and teaching and theologizing for Nicodemus. But it all ends up with the Son of Man on the cross, giving it all up for the sake of the world. And that's that. We don't really know what happens with Nicodemus that night anyway. We don't know how they parted ways. Did they hug it out? Did they shake hands? Did they say a prayer? Did they agree to disagree? Whatever the case, I imagine Nicodemus left with his head spinning still, wondering still how can these things be? And we don't hear much about Nicodemus after this, except in chapter 7 of John's gospel, when he actually stands up for Jesus in the face of his Pharisees and friends. And then Nicodemus shows up one more time at the very end of John's gospel, after the crucifixion, which it's safe to assume he witnessed. It's Nicodemus who helps anoint Jesus' body then, and prepare it for burial. So I suspect his time with Jesus that night in the dark got his wheels spinning enough so that he was willing to get his hands dirty, too. Like all that talk about being born again, about the wind blowing where it chooses, about the Son of Man ascending and descending, about God so loving the world that he gave his only son, like all of that 
came together for Nicodemus when he saw it come to life and come to death in the flesh of Jesus Christ himself. The words weren't enough all on their own. The definitions weren't enough all by themselves. The doctrines of what we believe only go so far and only run so deep and are rarely enough to speak to everyone in a way that matters. So for the guy who approached me this week looking for help for his friend and his son, I didn't know what to say. But I gave him my name and my number so we might get together and meet to talk. And I hope that happens. For the high school kid, wondering if God could ever forgive him, if God could still love him in some way, I reminded him that his mom and dad still did, that his parents still love him and have forgiving him and that they've shown him that love over and over and over again and that God's love is even bigger and better than that. And for the woman who cut my hair, I just gave her a bigger tip than usual and told her to have a meaningful time remembering and celebrating her sister somehow this weekend. All that to say, Again, I'm convinced we do not find or understand or experience or able to share the fullness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit solely or supremely by wrapping our brains around definitions and doctrines of the Trinity. The word of God in Christ Jesus comes alive for us and for the world when we do like Jesus did. When we do the work of loving one another, forgiving each other, creating experiences where grace and generosity and good news live and breathe and move among us, live and breathe and move through us in undeniable, abundant, life-giving ways that surprise us that surprise others with God's presence in all of its forms and always crucified and risen for the sake of the world. Amen.